Welcome to Disruption Blueprint with Shannon Spotswood from RFG Advisory. In this podcast, we help advisors grow their net worth, build their businesses, and maximize their independence. We've built an award-winning platform with innovative technology, comprehensive service, and a team of individuals who are experts in their field to serve advisors. Join us for this journey where we explore everything that has to do with running an independent advisor practice as we bring together successful advisors, industry experts, and innovative minds who are on the bleeding edge to challenge the status quo, foster new ideas, and create a path for advisors to unleash their growth potential. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Disruption Blueprint. We are so fired up for the rebranding of our podcast. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. The first is... We're going to talk about one of our favorite topics and really the the reason why the podcast is named Disruption Blueprint, which is what is disruption and why does it matter? And the second thing we're going to dig into is the history of RFG and why we are building the platform for independent advisors, the RIA of the future. So let's get started. This is so awesome to be here. We've talked about doing this for a long time. And I think, Bobby, we're going we're gonna to start with you because we are all, I think, equally obsessed and passionate about the word disruption. But it means different things to different people, and it certainly elicits a tremendous amount of different emotions from different people. So what is disruption? Well, you know, we talk about it all the time. We'll get into this, I'm sure, but the first day we met, we talked about what? Disruption. disruption. And the disruption in the industry and disruption in, in business as a whole. And, you know, but this, at the same time, when you think about the word disruption, I, I'm careful about how I use it. The more experience, the older I get and things such as that. You know, if you go to someone and you say, you know what I'm going to do, Shannon? Rick, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to disrupt everything in your life you're going to look at me like go no 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 I do not want to be disrupted that way so the key to me is that what's so important about disruption is the fact that we've got to be willing to disrupt ourselves you can't disrupt anyone else's life even in a positive way unless you're willing to disrupt your life in itself and what that does when you create this disruption within yourself and you get comfortable feeling uncomfortable in everything that you do you're not uncomfortable anymore, right? right? And what people see when you're allowing yourself to be disrupted is you become 1% better, okay? Right. You become a better version of yourself. You become an asset. You become a force multiplier. And people sit back and they look at that and they go, I want some of that. I want a piece of that. So disruption is not so much of being intentional about disrupting other people's lives. It's about disrupting ourselves so we can be a better force multiplier in other people's lives. And it's, it's so important because we wove that, you know, that underlying fundamental foundation into the fabric of our culture. So it was, it was natural that we were going to call our newly branded podcast Disruption Blueprint. Because if there's one thing that really is consistently parroted back to us from the industry and the evidence that we bring to the table to reinforce this of the awards that we've won, is that we really are passionate and energized by disruption. Yeah, I think... 
you know, as you think about disruption, right, you think about classical cases of industries that have been disrupted, right? And probably the one that comes to mind the most frequently or, or the most topical recently is probably the taxi industry, right? So we've got taxis, you stand on the corner, you flag one down, right? It is literally the world's least efficient process of transportation. <laughs> um, you know, it's probably one of the least convenient because in order to get a ride, I have to go stand in the rain or wave something down. I can't schedule something beforehand. And if anything, customer service is an afterthought if you had to actually call one of these companies because they've got, you know, licenses and regulatory uh, reasons why there can only be so many, right? And, and along comes Uber and Lyft and all of these other ride share companies that say, you know, you know what, we're going to go do this differently. And in doing it differently, we're going to turn the industry on its head. And, and when somebody looks at these two things next to each other, they're going to look at it and say, why did I ever do it the old way? Right. I can't even believe to my kids. The fact that taxis are an actual thing <laughs> is a mind-blowing right. idea, right? Like, why, what do you mean? You would just stand outside right. and have to wave somebody down or maybe call a dispatcher. Uh, you know, they don't even know what a phone book is. So, uh, you know, this, this notion of... What is a dispatcher? Using, <laughs> exactly. This notion of using, whether it's technology, um, usually, normally it is some form of technology, in combination with, let me think about how to redo the way an industry does business, generates, uh, at least in, in most cases that you see in the context of business, that sort of disruptive change where years down the line, somebody's looking at it and being like, I don't know how you ever did this any other right. way. Um, and, you know, it's really exciting to be a part of that as we think about wealth management. One of the best quotes is innovation and disruption are just two sides of the same coin. That's right. Because you can't be innovative. You can't be, you know, comfortable being uncomfortable without being disruptive. Like all of these things have to coexist. And, you know, as, as, as we've talked about, there and I want to dig into the history, there are very few founders and advisors, you know, Bobby, as the as the CEO founder of RFG and also as an advisor, that are willing when they have built their firm to a level that to the outside world is deemed successful and have reached a level of comfort, have, have really, you know, checked a lot of boxes from a, um, a success persp perspective that would be willing to be, you know, have this mindset of like, you know what, I'm going to not just talk the talk on disruption. I'm going to walk the walk. So I wanted, you know, roll back the clock a little bit uh, to the founding of RFG and what led us to really the three of us becoming partners and, and the journey that we're now on, which is RFG 2.0. Wow. That's a lot. Uh, yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. We, we tell this story quite often as we're talking to, you know, other business leaders and, uh, you know, advisors that are looking to join our platform. It, it never gets old, at least to us. You know, we enjoy it. We hope they do. Fortunately, they, they seem to enjoy it more than not. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, ironically, and I, I had this conversation last night, um, you know, in, in May of 2023, I'll celebrate 25 years in the industry. And in June of 2023, we will celebrate 20 years of RFG's founding. 
And wow, what a lot of change. I mean, you guys weren't even around at that point in time, and y'all were such an integral part. Rick and I weren't even born yet. Yep. <laughs> well, yeah. Shannon was not born yet, hence yeah. 29. Uh, Rick was a child, a near child. Infant. Uh, and I'm here, I'm, I'm the old guy. But, uh, yeah, it's just been an unbelievable ride. It's been so fulfilling. And, you know, if you had asked me 25 years ago and 20 years ago, where would we be as an organization? There's no way I would tell you that it's where we are now because that was not the intent. And, you know, I, I started in the business uh, almost 25 years ago. I went to work for an insurance space broker dealer. That's where I learned the business. And I really learned what I didn't want to be when I grew up. Um, you know, as insurance space broker dealer, the company that I, I was the managing director after it was all said and done of that firm was very proud of myself. Uh, you know, had, had accomplished a lot uh, for me at a very young age in, a, in an industry that I wasn't, you know, uh, didn't have a lot of capabilities. I still say to this day, this, this company was absolutely nuts uh, to propose, promote me in the positions that they did before I went out on my own and started RFG. But what it did, when you're working with a company and you're in executive management at a company like that, I mean, we manufactured our own product, uh, something you're both very uh, aware of. And as a managing director, I got paid more money if my advisors sold those products. And even as a very young man learning the business, I, I, I felt and found out and determined very quickly that is not who I wanted to be. I knew the industry was shifting. I knew we were going to a more fiduciary model, you know, as far as from an advisory standpoint, sophisticated financial planning and everything else. But I had the job, right? <laughs> So, you know, I'm learning everything, and every day I would go to work going, oh, my God, this is not who I want to be. And to fast forward a few years in 2003, uh, June of 2003, I started RFG Advisory, uh, and we basically started the firm. It was me and another founding partner who is still with our firm, as you both know. And we basically started the firm here in Birmingham, Alabama. Most all the business that we did was here in this area. And we brought on a few advisors and a few support staff, basically to support the two founding partners. And we're, you know, we're just going to figure this thing out as we go. And about a year or so after we started RFG, uh, I would have other advisors in the area call me up and say, hey, look, I'd love to come and talk to you about joining your platform. I'm like, what? What, what platform? What platform are you talking about? You know, we're just a you know group of folks trying to do right by clients and trying to survive and thrive and do well. And uh, they're like, well, you've got a good reputation on the street. You do and say what you say you're going to do and say and do. And uh, we'd like to talk to you about being part of that. And so with that, we, we, we grew very modestly uh, from 2003 to, say, 2007. And, you know, the world in 2007 just started changing around us. And, uh, you know, I remember in 2007, I went to my chief compliance officer at the time and said, look, we're getting at a size, we're getting at a scale to where we really need to dig deep and think about starting our own registered investment advisory firm. And he's like, what's that? And I'm like, exactly. You know, we've got, I'm, I'm going to give you a full year uh, to do all the due diligence, all the research that you need to do to come back to me and tell me what we need to do to start our own RIA. And so it was exciting. You know, we were very small, but, you know, it was like, okay, this grandiose plans of going forward, 
doing what some of our competitors were already doing, but not quite. Everybody's trying to figure everything out. And uh, that was in 2007. And in February of 2008, he came to me and did exactly what I asked him to do. He gave me all the information that I needed to make a very, very important decision, which was to put it on the shelf and <laughs> shut up. You know, I went back to my staff, albeit very small at the time. I said, look, you know, this is something we are going to do. However, this was March of 2008 now, and the world was going crazy around us. And I told my staff, I said, look, we're not market timers. I can't tell you what's going to happen next week. I can't tell you what's going to happen next month. I don't know how bad this is going to get. I don't know how long it's going to last, but it's going to get pretty doggone bad, and it's going to last a while. So we need to go back to the basics, you know, the blocking and tackling. We need to take care of our clients, hold their hand, make good decisions on their behalf along with them to make sure that, th that we don't just survive through this, you know, this economic, you know, crisis that we're about to experience, but also thrive through it. So that's what we did. You know, we went back to basics, man. We started talking about football, you know, blocking and tackling. You know, this is what we need to do to make sure our clients are taken care of. And, uh, man, we learned so much about where we wanted to be at that time. But we also learned so much about what we didn't need to do. And so we took a pause, and we really looked at where we were and where we wanted to go. And in 2011, it's like, okay, it's time for us to really be, you know, serious about starting our own registered investment advisory firm. And uh, that's what we did. We joined a uh, very large uh, publicly traded independent broker dealer. And the reason we chose them is because they at least spoke hybrid. Hybrid meaning, you know, you have your own RIA, which we started our RIA at that time in 2011. But at that point in time, we were still very predominantly in brokerage assets. And we were trying to make that transition and trying to figure it out as we, as we went along. And then I'm going to fast forward a few more years. In 2014, we we'd pretty much settled in. We kind of knew who we were with where we were at that point in time. We, I, I knew that it, we weren't where we needed to be long term, but we were in a pretty good spot. And we were about $450 million in uh, assets under advisory at the time, and you know, which is small in the big scheme of things. But back then, we were pretty proud of it. And I went on, I, I love to say this, but it's absolutely true, uh, I went on this crusade to double the size of the firm over a 12-month period of time. And this was for Shannon, before you, Rick, and for, for what, three-quarters of our team that we have right now. And uh, so I went on this crusade. I failed. I uh, was not able to double the size of the firm in 12 months, but we were able to triple the size of the firm over an 18-month period of time. So we literally went from about $450 million in assets under advisement to $1.2 billion. And if you didn't think I was the smartest person in the room, just ask me. I would have told you, man. I was the best thing since sliced bread, <laughs> Monday night football, everything else. I was very, very proud of myself until I sat down one day and realized, oh, my God, what have I done? Uh, we were eating. The, 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 uh, the growth came predominantly from two succession-driven acquisitions, some more organic growth at the same time, um, I was the CEO, I was the chief bottle washer, and I vacuumed the floors at night. Man, it was the craziest thing. It was fun, it was stressful, it was hard, it was exciting, and all the above. 
I mean, it was all these emotions and things such as that. And after about three months of eating those two elephants, if you will, because I did these acquisitions about six weeks apart of each other. I mean, we did not have the technology we have now. We didn't have the human capital and the expertise that we have now. We had none of that stuff. It was gut, man. It was gut, band-aids, duct tape, everything else. We're just figuring it out as we go. And after about three months of eating those two elephants, I went into my office to do the proverbial pat on my back, right? Hey, you just tripled. Awesome. I am awesome. <laughs> I just tripled the size of the firm in 18 months. We've this all been is there. awesome. And uh, I got to take a drink of water on that one. <laughs> It is water. I need something other than water in that now that I start thinking about what, the, what went through my head after I went to my office. But I'm doing the proverbial back, uh, you know, pat on my back. And instead of celebrating, I found myself, you know, I joke about this. It's, it's somewhat of a joke, but curled up in a corner of my office like a, you know, a baby crying, going, oh, my God, in the fetal position. Oh, my God, what have I done? You know, so I'm at this crossroads, you know. I mean, anybody can do the math. You go from, say, $450 million in assets to $1.2 billion as a business leader. If you're smart and you know math, right, you can free up some cash flow, right? I I had built a very good lifestyle company. And what I mean by a lifestyle company is a company that I could continue to run, continue to grow modestly, um, you know, and I can send my kids pretty much where I want to send them to school. I can do pretty much what I want to do. And I'm sitting here at this crossroad going, but that's not me. That's not who I am. I want to grow. But with the platform that we were with at that time, which was not our own, um, we had outgrown them. We had outgrown our technology. I had outgrown my entire team. Uh, I do joke a lot. And, um, you know, one of the jokes is I would walk. I had built this unbelievable team to support a $500 million to a billion dollar firm. But when you go from $450 million to $1.2 billion in 18 months, you outgrow some people. It just is what it is. It doesn't mean that they're bad people. It doesn't mean that they're not performers, but it's just too much. And I was literally walking down the hall, and I would look at my, you know, my senior team going, hey, how's your day? And their head would explode. I mean, you know, it would be like <laughs> their head would explode all over the wall. I mean, it was just too much. And I realized that I had to make some very significant decisions. I can go back to eating this elephant and enjoying what I had created as far as a good lifestyle company, or I can take this house that I'd built. You know, in 2003, we're sitting at 2014, 2000, almost 2015 at this point in time, and I can tear that house down, okay, keep the same lot, keep the same foundation, but rebuild what I know, what we affectionately call now is RFG 2.0. But I'm like, man, that's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be expensive. I'm going to go from having a very comfortable lifestyle to risking everything to build something bigger and that's the crossroads that I was at at that point in time. And hence the introduction to you, yeah. to Shannon. And uh, I'm going through all this. I go back to eating the elephants and, um, you know, doing what I knew to do and, you know, trying to energize my team and keep everyone, you know, uh, you know, energized and, you know, ready to r- run through the walls each and every day. And I was successful in doing that at the time. <laughs> And then one of our mutual friends, uh, Doug Cotharp, who is uh, one of my best friends, 
who is uh, now a board member to RFG and is your across-the-street neighbor, uh, reached out to me and said, hey, look, I got this across-the-street neighbor who's become a friend. Her and her husband and family moved here, you know, a couple of years ago from San Francisco. And uh, I thought she just sold my wife a bunch of expensive children's clothes, <laughs> which I'm sure you can talk a little bit about that, more about that. Uh, but come to find out, she has a 20-plus year career in institutional finance. And she doesn't know a whole lot of pe- people in Birmingham, and she wants to get back in the game. So she brought her resume over to me, and I'm just introducing her to some people, and you were top of mind. And I would love for you to take a little bit of time and talk with her, find out what she's all about. If you don't have anything that works for RFG and you feel feel, uh, compelled, you know, share your Rolodex with her and what have you. And then, you know, Doug's that type of guy. (laughs) He asks you to do something, you do it. You know, you pretty much do it. And uh, so I said, sure, be happy to do so. I printed her resume off, put it in my my folder, and I think we had it set for like a week later. You and I, you know, introduced ourselves via email. And the morning of, I remember it, I remember it to the day. I remember as if it were yesterday. Uh, I got up that morning. I came to the office. I'm like, oh, I've got that interview with that lady that <laughs> Doug wants me to talk to. I guess I need to read her resume. You know? <laughs> so I looked at the resume. I'm like, well, dear God, I'm not hiring her. She can do my job. You know, I mean, what is this all about? And we joked, but it was very true. Uh, we called it a filter meeting. We scheduled 45 minutes. Because I didn't get up that morning thinking I was going to hire my next partner who was going to be the president of my company. And you had no interest in, uh, uh, you know, retail wealth management. And you had an interview after me that you were actually interested in taking the job. You know, we found that out after the fact. And uh, so I, I met her in the, I met you in the lobby and we went back to my office and, you know, we started talking and we started talking about disruption. You know, we started talking about the disruption industry, you know, feed compression, technology. What's it going to look like six months from now, 12 months from now, five years from now, 20 years from now? And as we started talking, we found out very, very quickly that we shared a lot of the same ideas. We shared a lot of the same thoughts on what the industry was going to be like, you know, a year, two years, five years down the road. And I remember, you know, I looked at you. I said, look, here's the deal. I've got three other meetings scheduled uh, after our meeting, but they're all internal, and I can move every single one of them. I'm intrigued by this conversation. Are you willing to stay a little bit longer? Unbeknownst to me, she had a job interview that she was actually interested in after meeting with me. But to her credit, she excused herself. I buzzed my assistant, canceled the rest of my day, and uh, she called the, her interview, uh, or who was interviewing her afterwards, and rescheduled that. And we spent the next two and a half hours talking about disruption. Yeah. We talked about the industry. We talked about mm-hmm. where does RFG, you weren't even part, we had just right. met, where does RFG fit into that? You know, based on where we were at that time, what would it take? What would we have to do to put in place what we needed to put into place to not only survive but thrive and be the disruptor yeah. instead of the disrupted? And, uh, you know, I remember that day like it was yesterday. And I remember when you left, I'm like, you know, because this, I was at this crossroads, right? I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was going to stay in the business, obviously, but was I going to, you know, ride this train of this lifestyle company or was I going to really go out and build something bigger than myself? And I remember I looked at you and go, okay, that's the person that can help me execute upon, upon what I really know I want to do. 
Uh, I, I love that story. <laughs> I mean, I feel the same way. Like it takes me back. I can remember that moment so, so clearly. And what was so remarkable about it is, you know, we, we jokingly, you know, you had a legal pad in your office and we architected what is RFG 2.0. We sat there. We and still have those 10 or 12 we, pages. We do. Yeah. Of like, what does it mean to build a platform for independent advisors? What does it mean to be the RA of the future? What would all of those, you know, what, what, what would be entailed in all of that? And, you know, Bobby, I will always forever give you credit. There are very few... Uh, there are very few founders, there are very few men, there are very few advisors who would have the guts to tear down their life's work in the pursuit of something bigger than yourself. And and I felt that that day. You know, I, you know, as, as, as you mentioned, had moved to Birmingham two years prior from San Francisco after 20 years in San Francisco and had the good fortune to be on the ground floor of two hedge funds and an investment bank as one of the first employees. And those companies went on to become, um, you know, successful in, in some cases and certainly in, in Symphony's case, very large and very successful organizations. And Rick, you and I share this in common, like once you've sat at that intersection of really talented people being aligned on the mission to build something bigger than yourself, you can never go back. Mm -hmm. And so I had titled my job search Seeking the Intangible. Because I really was, in to some degrees, like agnostic about the title or the industry. I was looking for that feeling. I was looking for that rocket ship. I was looking to be a part of building something. And I'll, I'll never forget standing in the parking lot um, after our meeting and like, this is it. And granted, it took us, you know, several I know, months. I was looking out the window. <laughs> <laughs> What's she thinking? <laughs> you know, it took us several months to uh, to iron out all those details. But what's so remarkable, and Rick, you and I share an anniversary, separated by um, by one year exactly, exactly, is that when we hit the ground running on September first to build the platform, we put our foot on the pedal and jammed it to the floor and here we are seven years later and we really have never even let up for one second and i think i can say as you know uh, uh, you know we talk about this all the time we're in inning one like we're so energized by what we're building and there's so much of the kind of the the those those darkest hours of Walking through the valley, being in the trench, staring up at the ceiling, the hard thing about hard things is what makes us, I think, a unique platform and makes us really energized about what we're building. And what was, you know, what was our objective from minute one? You have this tremendous perspective of being an advisor. So we've always said we're advisor led, but professionally managed. And we knew it's so important. And we knew early on that if we were going to walk the walk on being a platform for independence, that our driving goal was to help advisors build enterprise value on their own personal balance sheet. And we were going to do it in a way that hadn't been done in the industry. We're going to do it without the clause. We were going to do it really in this in this kind of framework of, of, of growth, in this framework of service, that to build a culture, and for us, the nomenclature and the vocabulary that we use is servant heart warrior mindset. 
And if we were going to build a firm that was going to be, we're a service company first, we're a technology company second, we're an RIA third, the order of those was so important to us that we had this tremendous benefit of being battle tested to really align that mission, vision, values. And that is what is really setting us on this path. That is why we believe we're an inning one. And that is why we will be one of the largest platforms for independent advisors kind of when the dust settles, you know, three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. Um, and it's, it, it, it's just been this incredible, incredible opportunity. And what, you know, I want to touch on how Rick came into the picture. So we spent, you know, day one, minute one, we get started. We so let me interrupt yeah. just a moment. So to, to go back to what I was saying earlier, I did not get up the morning that I met Shannon going, okay, I'm going to hire my next partner. And my next president of my company, because I was the president of the company at the same time at that time. So I, I, she came on September 1st. Six months to the day, I promoted her to president of the company. So, I mean, it's funny how you wake up with one mindset and you yeah. meet someone and you get to know someone and you see that you share the same goals, the same vision, and how your mindset changes. Yeah. It all changed within that time frame. And, you know, for the record, the, when you announced that I was going to be president at our, our advisor <laughs> retreat, um, you could hear a pin drop. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't overwhelming. Like, yay. Yeah. Um, Ch- change is hard. But yeah. look at us now. Change is hard. Change is hard. Change is hard. Change. We'll, we'll touch, we'll touch, we'll on, touch that on that a little bit. So one year deep, deep due diligence. I mean, one year just analyzing the industry, the business models, the fintech landscape, the broker dealer options, how to convert the business. You know, at the time it was predominantly brokerage and in our broker dealer change converted that to being predominantly advisory. Whereas today less than 1% of revenue is, is from brokerage. So this one year of really thinking about what are the four foundational pillars that we're going to build this platform on. Number one for us was technology, knowing we wanted to have a very tech forward experience that the only way to scale and grow a platform, the only way for advisors to have that truly personalized experience with clients was to have a very deeply integrated state of the art, um, you know, highly customized fintech stack, pillar one. Pillar two is how you enter the interstage left is institutional investment management. We recognize that there was a way to build a firm where a CIO was sitting on the same side of the table with advisors and was was this tremendous resource for them that asset management wasn't just a commoditized offering, that there was real value there. Pillar three was culture. And what we're going to be our attributes of success. How are we going to have a living, breathing, evolving mission, vision, values that really we all believed passionately and could be obsessed with? And pillar number four, which certainly you've you've had a, a very significant hand in crafting, is RFG Capital and the ability to bring innovative funding to the table for advisors to be able to execute on succession plans, help them ease that transition, relieve them of some of those forgivable loans and growth capital in order to be able to really fulfill their visions for their their independent practices. So let's circle back, Rick, because, you know, one year separates us to the date. Um, you know, I mean, that's amazing in it's itself. Amazing. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. 
Life's little ironies. Life's Life's little little ironies. Yeah. So Bobby and I joke, we said we want an institutional caliber investment, uh, you know, manager, a CIO to step into that seat. We looked around the state of Alabama for about about five minutes. (laughs) Five minutes, open it up to the southeast. Fifteen minutes more, and realized we, we gotta need, go national. We got to crack this thing wide open, and you know, truly, it's you know, we will forever be grateful that your resume landed in uh, in our inbox. But here you here you showed up with this tremendous Wall Street pedigree. You know, you grew up in Birmingham. You left the great state, and you've got some funny things to share on that. Uh, went to Harvard, magna cum laude. Joined Bain Capital when they were brand new basically baby firm uh, unto themselves they sent you to stanford number one in your class henry ford scholar went, had to look that up had to, had to google that, that. Had to look that up. Uh, went back to bain capital and you were running you know and, and co-managing an eight and a half billion dollar portfolio for bain so this just like wow factor where you would really not only be able to bring this tremendous institutional depth of experience to advisors but you had the gravitas to be able to translate that experience from not only constructing an, an in-house investment platform, but being able to connect very intentionally with our advisors' clients. And I thank you for that. And Me I and never get tired of you know you leading the fan club. Uh, it's Shannon amazing. and your mom. Shannon and my mom. Yeah. Uh, you know, look, it's a it's a funny story, but I think it ties in a lot to what we did uh, here at RFG or what we're doing here at RFG, right? You know, when I uh, I'm, a, I'm a product of Mountain Brook High School, I grew up here, right? And uh, you know, when I dusted off my diploma and decided to head north to go to school, you know, my immediate thought was, you will never see my smiling face. <laughs> back in Birmingham again, right? Like, I am out of here. Um, And, uh, you know, like any good story, there's a girl involved. Uh, When I was graduating from college, I was dating a young woman who, like, wanted to go to Harvard Med School. And, you know, I was going to stay in Boston to be with her. And then uh, we broke up after three months. But at that point, I'd taken the job, right? Uh, And you're kind of locked in and loaded. Um, And Shannon, as you referenced, you know, at that point, I joined this uh, small firm at the time called Bain Capital Credit. um, And we had about $300 million of equity under management, about 20 investment professionals. uh, And it was uh, small and it was awesome. And, you know, everybody's sort of pulling in the same direction to sort of build something larger than yourself. Um, and, you know, a couple of years there and they sent me to business school and brought me back and a couple more years and all of a sudden you look up and it's a, you know, $30 billion asset manager, uh, you know, with 200 plus investment professionals um, across the firm and uh, is a lot of fun. Um, but as you alluded to earlier, um, you know, sometimes uh, you miss as in those large institutions, you miss uh, the small institution feel, you know, the, the 20 or 30 people that are all, you know, trying to pull together and do exactly the same thing every day, um, you know, and, or at least not exactly the same thing, but work towards a common goal every day um, and talented people that are thinking about more than, you know, just uh, their own little department or universe, uh, but, you know, thinking really about the whole um, of the organization. Uh, and so I looked up uh, after a number of years in Boston and said, you know, this is uh, it's time for me to make a change um, and circled a couple areas on the map uh, and really on a whim uh, kind of gave my resume to my sister 
thank you, Christy. Thank by you, the way. Christy. Thank you, Christy. Uh, who gave it to? She, she worked in in Birmingham. She gave it to her boss. Um, her boss gave it to three people that he knew. They gave it to three people that they knew, and you had a bunch of series of coffees and whatever else until eventually it landed on your desk, uh, and we were able to you know just describe the path of disruption that we had really sort of set ourselves on, right, or that RFG had set itself on, right. Um, and I think it's important to recognize, you know, what that is and what like that looks like, right? Like disruption is hard, <laughs> yeah. right? Like disruption is, and for disruption, by definition, for disruption to be effective, it can't be easy, right? Like those two things don't exist in the same universe. So, you know, when the two of you shared with me this vision of like, okay, um, we are going to completely replace our technology stack, right? Like at, there, there's not going to be a system that we're using right now that we are going to be using going forward. Um, we are going to change the business model in terms of how people do business. Instead of it being more of a brokerage-based firm, we're going to move to more of an advisory-based firm, and we are going to change the way people think about how they approach their practices. Um, we're going to change, uh, you know, the firms that we do business with in terms of broker dealers and the way we're going to change the way that we attract talent. Right. I mean, it's safe to say that in the pre 2000, the RFG 1.0 game, uh, we were very similar to a lot of players on the street in terms of, you know, playing the forgivable loan game and playing this game and that game in terms of trying to attack people with money. Uh, and, you know, we were like, no, we're going we're gonna to change that around and we're going to attract them with service and we're going to attract them with culture and we're going to attract them with technology and we want them to stay here because they want to stay here. Um, and you explain all of this change, and I'm looking around the office, and I'm like, this, this is going to be fun. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to work or not, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and it has been a lot of fun, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's also had its shares of... You have a great way of describing it. You know, we have a little analogy that we talk about when we say what we did, what we did, but we're changing the engines on the jetliner while we're flying it. Uh, and you're over hostile territory, and you're over water. There's not a landing space in sight. Uh, and so it can be very no nerve-wracking. There's no parachutes, <laughs> um, you know, but, you know, if you fail, then you just go find the next thing. Um, and luckily, thank goodness, we're on the other side of those yeah, very challenging, challenging times. Challenging times. Um, and, you know, I like to say that life has little ironies. When I, when I left Birmingham, I never expected to be back here, and now I own the house next to the apartment building that I grew up in, uh, and uh, I can see my high school from my office window, uh, and it waves at me every morning uh, in kind of, you know, like, oh, hey, remember me? Um, so, you know, it's funny how life kind of comes full circle. You know circle. what's so, um, I think, so exciting about the firm that we're building and the platform that we're building and the advisors um, that we're serving is that we're a heck yes, heck no culture, mm-hmm. right? There's no ambivalence. And right. it's been that way from really minute one, day one. If you're going to actually change the engines on the, uh, the jet plane over hostile territory, there is no room for ambiguity, yeah. No. You have to be None. you have to be really aligned. Like we have to all be on the same page. And we've done so much to ensure that that culture is not only tangible in, and felt by our team and felt by our advisors, but that we're able to scale it as we continue to grow. You know, we're now up to, you know, 90 plus advisors on platform, uh, north of 35 offices. And as we started this, we're in inning one. So Bobby, share a little bit about what that means to us. Well, first of all, I want to point out something you said. I mean, a lot of people in our position, you were talking about the firm that we're building. And a lot of people would say, we look now at the firm we have built. 
We never say that. <laughs> we never say. It's always the firm that we're building. Yep. Hence, we're in the first inning. I mean, we're just getting started. I mean, you've got the big iceberg here, right? And it's bigger down below the water. We've just chipped this little piece off at this point in time. So we're, we're just getting started. Uh, and just excited about it. I mean, it just, you know, rejuvenated, excited every day that we get out of bed. Um, your question was? About what does the future look like and the role oh, that RFG man. plays in it? Well, again, we're building it, right? We're building our future. Um, you know, one of the big testaments to the rebuilding and the continuous rebuilding, or not rebuilding, but the building evolution. of RFG, the evolution, is that first year. Yeah. To your point, I mean, we we didn't really do anything but due diligence. You know, we didn't pull a lever that first year that you and I, before Rick came on board. It was just like, hey, we're going to understand every aspect of this industry. We're gonna we're gonna understand if it makes sense for us to do our own technology. We're gonna we're gonna understand if it makes sense to buy it off the shelf but customize it to RFG. And that was a solid twelve months before we made any significant uh, significant decisions. We did that whole year of due diligence before really pulling any levers to make any decisions. And I mean the point of, of RFG is be the firm of the future, right? Everybody says that, right? Everybody, you know, wants to be that step ahead of everyone else. But the thing that I was going to say is in that year of due diligence you know, we would get on the phone with our peers, our competitors that we trusted, and we would we wouldn't tell them exactly what we were doing, but we would relay that you know we're looking at doing this and we're looking at doing that. And what did everybody yeah. say? You're crazy. You're nuts. It can't be done. Can't be done. You're going to lose all yeah. of your advisors. You're forcing too much change. You're forcing disruption yeah. that they're not going to be able to handle, and you're going to lose half your advisors. Yeah. And yeah. we would look at each other like, what if they're right? Yeah. And we would like, screw it. Right. What if they're right? We know this is the right thing to yeah. do. How many advisors did we lose through all that? This is this will forever be one of kind of the most, I mean, like most validating moments of our journey. Mm -hmm. Not one. Not one. I remember when we were Not entertaining one. Rick to come on board and join us as a partnership group. You, you asked that question. How many advisors have you lost over the past year? And how many do you anticipate losing over the next year? I answered, we, our answer was we haven't lost any. And I hope we don't lose any more. And I hope that, there's not, that we're not going to lose any over the next year. And that a year later, how many did we lose? We hadn't lost any. We haven't yeah. lost, lost any. any. So it was such a testament to our advisor yeah. for believing in yeah. the disruption. We had to right. disrupt ourselves yeah. first. Yeah. Okay? But our advisors trusted us enough to where they looked at us like, okay, they're doing some crazy stuff over here. I don't know if I like it or not, but, man, it sure is weird and kind of cool to watch. And they're getting comfortable with it. And they get, they're getting better. They're making RFG better. Right. I'm part of RFG, so therefore I'm going to get better. Yeah. And so here we are right now. And, you know, and at that point in time, we were at 30-some-odd advisors. Right. Here we're at 90-plus advisors. And, uh, wow, I mean, you think about the last seven years yeah. and where we are right now. It's been a whole lot of fun. Yeah. You know, it's it's. I don't want to gloss over. Um, it took some work uh, <laughs> and some convincing and some handholding um, and and a lot of different things to try and to make sure that we didn't lose anybody through that transition period because change is hard. Uh, and one of the things that makes change hard is the scariness of the unknown, right? right. Uh, when you're designing something that you can't see or feel or touch uh, and saying, okay, well, I, this is comfortable. I know what's working now. And, you know, okay, I want to I change that and I want to bring it into the future. 
Um, a lot of times there can be some people that just say, you know, look, I don't, I don't need the future. I'm comfortable with where I am and I don't, I don't need to be part of that future vision. Um, and I think one of the things that, uh, you know, that we did very well was kind of articulating to our advisors, um, you know, this message and this view of what the future of the world should look like, you know, that, that you shouldn't actually be spending more time on administrative tasks than you spend interacting with your clients, right? That, that there's a way to make this better, that you shouldn't hate right. your you know, supervising OSJ and, you know, uh, you know, that the you, compliance that, department. the compliance department and the RIA that you do business with, right. That that shouldn't be a hate relationship, that that should be a love relationship. Um, you know, and, and it, it took a while, uh, to get there, but I think much like, you know, other estimates of disruption, if you can explain to people like, this is the reason this is, this is how it should be. Right. And that's what we're going to go build. Um, and if that vision is compelling enough, then you can get people to stick around for the ride. And, and that's what we did. And, uh, and you know, now here we are. So, uh, you know, here continuing continuing to ride that. Continue to uh, ride train. and build. Yeah, exactly. To the moon. Exactly. Love you guys. Love you too. Thank you for listening to the Disruption Blueprint podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.rfgadvisory.com or schedule a call on our advisor resources page. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Content here is for illustrative purposes and general information only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific training strategy. Information here may be provided in part by third-party sources. These sources are generally deemed to be reliable. However, neither our guests nor RFG advisory guarantee the accuracy of third-party sources. The views expressed here are those of our guest. They do not necessarily represent those of RFG advisory, its employees, or its clients. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by RFG advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, a registered investment advisor. Private client services and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place. RFG Advisory is an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of RFG by the Commission, nor does it indicate that RFG or any associated investment advisory representative has attained a particular level of skill or ability.